podcast where we share our love for the holidays with you year-round. This is Randy and I will be continuing the Beach Party movie series for this summer with The Ghost in the Invisible Bikini. This is Sydney and I will be talking about Walt Disney World's ferry boats, specifically the ones to ferry guests to Magic Kingdom. Yep, the uh, alternative to the monorail. It's always right, a struggle right. when we go. And do we take the monorail or the ferry boats? Right. And I always want to take the monorail. You guys never want to. <laughs> so we we've gone them. the ferry boats quite a bit. Yeah. Uh, this is Cole, and I'm going to be talking about the holidays in Australia. Kind of running down a few of those on the list. Continuing my series of, I guess you could say, the holidays of the Commonwealth countries. So before we jump into the topics for the week... What holiday happenings do we have for this past week? Well, I'm coming up close to the time when me and some friends are heading over to Disney, and they are still making changes. I think the latest one is the change in their hours, which will take effect, uh, what was it, on the 8th of September? I think just as we're getting there, now that I think about it. The 8th is a Tuesday, so it's the day after Labor Day, changes take effect. So I think it's kind of in the middle of your trip. Yes. It's basically reducing the evening hours and maybe opening a little later or closing a little earlier. Yeah, so Tuesday is the day that we're at Animal Kingdom, so that's a little unfortunate because they already have short hours. Right, right. Not all of them shorten their hours, though, every day, right? Yeah, all of them shortened a little bit. Yeah. Oh, okay. But the good thing is that we're going to Magic Kingdom on Sunday and Hollywood Studios on Monday. So the two big ones, because Star Wars Land and Toy Story are at Hollywood Studios, so we'll still get the reduced but longer hours for those two days. Right. So that's not so too bad. Mm-hmm. What other holiday happenings for the week? Well, my mom is still here. We This is our last weekend with her. So this week we have watched a lot of Christmas movies. We watched White Christmas, A Christmas Story, Miracle on 34th Street. Yep. I think those are the three. And then some Hallmark and Lifetime ones. I think we got well, some of those in there, too. And Up, because one of our favorite oh, that's it. Christmas yes. shows from last season is Up's A Christmas Movie Christmas. I love that one. That one is the spoof of Two Sisters yet pulled into a Christmas movie, basically. Movie. And they realize they're in it. Yes. So it's, it's navigating that. But they st- it's still Christmas magic, mm-hmm. and they still have to fulfill their wishes before they can leave. <laughs> that's right. That's hilarious. It's great. <laughs> The other thing, I didn't know if you guys knew this or not, but do you remember a couple years ago, a movie was actually filmed in Winchester, Virginia, a Christmas movie called Santa Girl. Well, they're actually filming another one in Winchester via Shenandoah University that has a connection with a production company in L.A., and this one's going to be called A Cupid for Christmas. Oh, that's so funny. Yeah, they're doing another one. I think it's a different director. I think they have some sort of directing school. Like activity classes oh. sort of thing. That would make sense. I think we mentioned last week that we've been watching some older movies like from the 40s via Netflix. And this past week we watched one that I think is my favorite so far. It's called It Happened on Fifth Avenue. It was released in 1947. It was really funny. So here's the f- very short synopsis of this uh, older movie. Every winter... Michael J. O'Connor, the second richest man in the world, vacates his Fifth Avenue mansion 
for his winter home in warmer climates, which happens to be in Virginia. Every winter, Aloysius T. McKeever, a homeless man, and his dog moves into the vacated mansions. This particular winter, McKeever meets Jim Bullock, an Army veteran who has recently been evicted from his apartment and offers to share the mansion with him. It's not long before the mansion has a few more guests, including two of Jim's Army buddies and their wives and children, runaway heiress Trudy Connor and her mother and Michael J. O'Connor himself. So it was a very fun movie. It was so cute. Movie. I mean, it wasn't super Christmas focused, but it kind of happens around Christmas. It so. does, yeah. Yeah, so I, I thought it was really, really funny. The it jokes was held up. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it was really good. So I do encourage you to, to definitely watch that one. I like that one. And speaking of movies, I'm on my second to last Beach Party movie. This is the last one actually from the 60s, the last in a series that I'm going to pick up on from the American International Pictures. So this was released in April of 1966, and it was The Ghost in the Invisible Bikini. So one of the things that makes The Ghost in the Invisible Bikini so much fun is kind of its kitchen sink nature. It's almost like they realized they were getting towards the end of the run, so they just threw a bunch of stuff into it um, to make it as fun and Silly. crazy as <laughs> possible. It actually kind of reminds me of a Scooby-Doo episode. Oh, fun! Yes. Although the twist would be that the villains, the actual villains, have no idea that they're being thwarted by real ghosts. Who are the real ghosts are actually helping the good guys, basically. So there's an inheritance at stake. There's a multitude of revolving walls and secret passages, falling chandeliers, portraits that watch you, an escaped carnival gorilla, a damsel in distress on a buzzsaw. Not the first one we've seen. You know beach stuff <laughs> <laughs> yeah. some a uh, grand mechanical or waxworks it's, it, he mannequins. called it a house of horrors yes yes and just so many chase scenes yes the, yes so many so let me run through a synopsis of the plot Hiram Stokely has recently joined the ranks of the deceased a carnival showman who made millions in life by swindling others he is visited in his mausoleum by his beautiful former assistant Sicily, who died 32 years earlier in a high wire fall. Now she is actually the girl in the invisible bikini. That was part. That was the title of her act because she was so far up in the air. It was almost like her bikini was um, invisible. Sicily tells Hiram that he needs to perform a good deed to get to heaven and have his youth restored, and that's why she's been sent to him is to help him. Hiram decides that his deed will be to ensure that his rightful heirs get his inheritance and that his crooked lawyer, Reggie Ripper, doesn't keep it all for himself. I know, the, the names are hilarious. The alliteration of yes. these names. Among his heirs are two teenagers not related to him, Chuck Phillips and Lily Morton, played by Tommy Kirk and Deborah Wally, who've kind of replaced Frankie and Annette in these movies. The will is to be read at midnight in Stokely's mansion, and just like a carnival raffle, you have to be present to win your inheritance. So that is where Reggie, the lawyer's diabolical plan, comes in, as he has his right-hand scoundrel, Jay Sinister Hulk, hire some disreputable miscreants who end up being circus outcasts, including a harem girl, a very not-PC American Indian, and a gorilla. So they get hired to scare the heirs off the premises at the least or kill them at the worst. (laughs) (laughs) 
I'm so. guessing the gorilla is a guy in a suit. Yes, yeah. but in the movie, he's actually a you know he's, he's supposed to be a right, girl. Yes. right. But I'm just wondering as to the quality of the gorilla yes. suit. <laughs> so little do they know that the fake scares they have planned will be supplanted by real scares from the ghost, the ghost girl. The guy who died, Hiram, actually can't leave the mausoleum. He has to ask the ghost girl who's there to help kind of do things for him. That's Sicily. He so, has a crystal ball. Yeah, so he so can, he can see. watch everything. Meanwhile, Myrtle's nephew, Bobby, takes her up on their offer to bring his friends along for a pool party <coughs> in the sprawling Stokely Mansion, which gives us the necessary injection of beach party shenanigans into the horror comedy. So Ripper, for his part, ha- has invited all his goons along. The harem girl's name is Princess Yolanda, played by the same girl who's previously played a number of... She was the one that was always the, I guess, the Swedish girl. That yes. uh, The only thing she said was, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's right. <laughs> the, she had lines this time. That was nice. The non-PC uh, Native American, normally played by Buster Keaton, but he had passed away by this time. His uh, name in the movie is Chicken Feather. Also played not by mm. a Native American. Mm-mm. And then a pair, <laughs> <laughs> and no. a pair of traveling assassins carting along a cage gorilla named Monstro. Also on hand, of course, in addition to all the bikini girls and guys, is the uh, ubiquitous Eric Von Zipper and his I rag about, pack. I was about to ask, bikers, is yes. Eric Von Zipper in this one? <laughs> yeah, Eric Von Zipper is. Uh, amidst all the mayhem... Ripper finds it difficult to carry out his plan for doing away with um, the kids or scaring them off. When he makes a last attempt at murder in the mansion's basement, where it's called the Chamber of Horrors, Hiram and Cicely foil the scheme and the inheritance rightfully goes to Chuck. Having done his good deed, Hiram is given his reward by turning younger. Unfortunately for him, he becomes a three-year-old. Was it three? Yeah, I, I guess. That's what... Good grief. <laughs> yes. I would have guessed like yeah. eight. Yes. <laughs> Based on the movie, but okay. Yes. So yeah, so they... He definitely got his youth. Right. But way more than what he anticipated. Yes, exactly. Wasn't what either of them anticipated, but they did get their reward to go to heaven. So some of the cast members involved include obviously people that have been um, in other previous movies as far as the kids go, but it also includes Nancy Sinatra, daughter of Frank Sinatra. And she sings. She has a beautiful voice. She sings a song called Geronimo, also not a a PC title, but the music itself was fine, and she was backed up by the Bobby Fuller Four. And do you guys know what Nancy Sinatra is famous for singing? These boots were made for walking. So that's one of her famous songs. If you want to uh, listen to something that she was famous for, that's her main song, although she had some other ones that were popular too. The Bobby Fuller Four actually... End up being a house band throughout the film. They just randomly play songs occasionally. All right, so let's talk a little bit about the Chamber of Horrors, which was in the basement. All right, so you go down there, and they basically have these full-size mannequins that are playing out, almost like audio animatronics, playing out horror scenes, like killing each other or right. doing things to but each it's other. it's very animatronic. And I very mean, slow. Yes. You can tell that it's not real. Right, but it's supposed to be scary, I guess. Right. As and well as given the time frame, right? Right, but it's not crafted in a way in the film that's it scares the audience, no. right? No, okay. it scares the people that encounter them because initially are similar movies that aren't like gory, but will have enough ambiance that it's clearly supposed to be scary, right? And this wasn't. This right. was definitely a 
chamber of horrors that somebody like just goes like a house kind of yeah, chamber exactly. of horrors. Yeah. Yes, with animated mannequins, scary yeah. statues, masks, a working buzzsaw. Yeah. Um, but there's also the gorilla that they because they're down in the basement they think the gorilla is fake but then the gorilla is obviously real and chases them all but, so it, a, but it is fake <laughs> right. but there's a lot a lot a lot a lot, lot of chase scenes going on here so I, I liked it a lot I thought it was a fun romp uh, it of was. a movie it was a fun movie yeah. yeah it wasn't the plot was super thin sure right I mean yeah. it was very it was not clear why the two kids that were not related to the carnival owner were, were necessarily part of the inheritance. Part of that. Yeah, why they were even there. And they agreed not to be in a romantic relationship, although that kind of wore thin as the movie went on, and then by the end they were. Why they ever agreed to that, it was kind of unclear. I was about to say, like, there seems to be less subplots with yes. this one. Like, less right. complexity as you're explaining yes. it. Like, it's I just, can follow this one a little better than a few of the past ones. Right, although the past ones, the past two, I think, had a single solid plot. This plot is... Very thin as far as like why things are connected to each other the way they are. I had to read some of the things rather than get them from the movie itself. Right, and that's true. That's true. I didn't know some of the stuff until right. you told me. I was like, oh, okay, yeah. well, like, that makes why sense. The, when the ghost, um, Cecily, shows up in the mansion to help the kids, she, her bikini is like a green screen. So you can see right through it to like right. it's. Transparent. It's invisible. It's like there is no bikini there. There's no right. body there. It just goes to the right. wall behind or whatever. And she's so, blue. Yes, and she's blue. Ghost. She's blue with no bikini. Right. No, but, but, but they just, don't spend yeah. a lot of time explaining that, that she was this ghost in the visible bikini as the circus yeah. person. Like they just kind of jump into yeah. running around and chasing each other. She has a funny accent. She does have a really bad accent. She was like, she called him Harem Baby. Yeah, or so the, she, like that. Would, she would have died in like the 1920s, according and to the timeline. That's what I wondered. Yeah, yeah so if, there was, if it was kind of a jargon of a certain. She picked up the 60s decade. accent and words pretty quickly. <laughs> so, so it was fun. It was, it was nice. Next week, we'll be going uh, a little bit forward in time, I think to the 80s. Ooh. For the final beach party synopsis kind of movie. So, looking forward to that. Yep. Moving on from movies to my continuing series of Disney boat attractions. Now, I've been talking about rides. However, today I will be specifically talking about the Walt Disney World ferry boats that ferry guests from parking lot to Magic Kingdom and back. Yes, one of the two main ways for most guests to get to the park. Yes. So and it's a transportation and ticket center. Yes. Yes, from there to the parks. Yeah. Yes. So you um, have the choice of either going to Magic Kingdom via monorail or via ferry boat. So I'm gonna just going to flip this a little. Normally I ask this question at the end, but I'm going to ask in the beginning. Which is your preference and why? Mine, ever since I was very, very young, is the monorail. Because it's fun and exciting, and it's kind of if you don't if you've never been on a monorail, it's like an enclosed metro on a rail up above everything else. Mm-hmm. It's essentially, I mean, that's essentially what it is. Yeah, um, and it goes through some different. And it goes through some different things. It goes through Disney resorts. You get to look right. at everything. The inside is a nice aesthetic. Yeah. So to me. The ferry boat is the faster option usually, but it is just a boat. 
It's not raining in the ocean. <laughs> uh, it's crossing the lake, and it it is fun. It's the ferry boat is nice because you're out in the cool air, but. I always loved the monorail from when I was a little kid, so it holds a special place in my heart. It does. I remember we bought you a monorail. Yes, I remember that. Kid, like a little toy. Yeah, but it was a working toy. Yeah, like a track. Like right, because you Model trains, so but with monorail. Right. Yeah, so when you guys were little, we always did the monorail because you loved it so much, Cole. Mm-hmm. And to be honest, when they were little, I think it was faster, which yeah. is different than it is now. Yes, and it was easy to contain two kids in that small area than it was on a huge ship. So what was your favorite, Mom? If it wasn't for the crowds, I would probably choose the monorail, but I don't like standing in the crowds, waiting for the monorail, waiting, having everybody kind of push in. Like, I just don't like that whole crowd thing, which is funny because the ferry boat takes a lot more people, so it's still a crowd, but it feels more open because it's the ferry boat. So there's no wall, so probably... Yeah, lately it's been the ferry boat. Unless there's no crowds at all, then I would do the monorail. Okay. Yeah, I think uh, mine has changed. I used to the monorail was always mine. I think lately uh, it's been the ferry boat though, because of the um, the scene. You can see the Polynesian. You can see the Grand Floridian. The um, island that's in the middle. Um, the breeze that comes in the open air. Then mm-hmm. you can see the approaching um, park. So I lo- I really like them both. But I think lately it's been the ferry boat. Mm-hmm. What about you, Sydney? Um, I enjoy the ferry boat. I agree. Like, if there aren't too many people in the crowd, I would go the monorail. But I really do like the boat, even when there is not much of a crowd. You know, it's just, it's nice. And like Dad said, it's nice to just see the scenery and smell the, you know. Bayou air. (laughs) Yeah, I guess. But I guess feel the breeze on your face. And it's just fun. See, to me, the monorail is kind of iconically Disney, too. Like, they have, like, big pictures where they have, like, kind of a mishmash of all the parks together. Like, the Epcot Ball, you know, Tree of Life, Cinderella's Castle. And a lot of times, they'll have, like, the monorail going around. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Here are ten facts about the Walt Disney World ferry boats first one is from day one they were open so this transportation over the water has been open since Walt Disney World's opening day on October 1st 1971 the original ferry boats were the Ports O'Call and the Southern Seas two side wheelers powered by steam engines each could carry up to 250 passengers Number two, the sidewheeler steamships were a unique way to travel, but they were slow-moving and temperamental, and Disney quickly realized that they needed something a little more reliable and speedy. The ferries today, they're not speedy, but obviously they're faster than whatever they're they had fast previously. fast enough that you can feel a breeze going right. by as mm-hmm. you're right. standing on them. Uh, and it's a reasonable time to wait to get to right. Disney. I imagine that the steamboat was kind of... Disney-esque, though, with, like, right. Steamboat yeah. Willie and yeah. kind of, yeah. Thus, the Magic Kingdom 1 and Magic Kingdom 2 diesel-powered ferry boats were commissioned and then built at a Tampa Bay, Florida shipyard. Constructed primarily of steel beam and plate, each ferry weighed in at 380,000 pounds. That's a lot of pounds. Yeah. They were put into service at Disney World Resort on July 2nd, 1972. 
So third fact, diesel ferry boats did a much better job of keeping up with the demand for guest transportation, but by 1976, Disney saw the need for a third ferry boat. This time, however, the construction of the ferry was handled right on Disney World property. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, it was built in the shops located in the dry dock area off Bay Lake. Named Kingdom Queen, this new ferry boat utilized aluminum as well as steel, which lowered its overall weight to a trim 360,000 pounds. Oh, wait, wasn't the other one like 380,000? Yeah. So it was like 20,000 pounds different. But yeah. hey, that, ha- that helps. Every pound helps. Oh, uh, yeah. Um, it was put into service on June 30th, 1976. Um, when the Kingdom Queen was built, it featured a few options that Magic Kingdom 1 and 2 did not have. I thought this was interesting. So the Kingdom Queen was outfitted with a dance floor on the upper deck, men and women's restrooms, and two bars in order to be able to perform charter excursions. Wow. Yeah. In 2001, the bars were removed and benches were replaced to make the ferry more efficient for carrying passengers. The bathrooms still exist, but have long since had plumbing disconnected, so they are unusable. (laughs) So don't, if you happen to see one, do not use it. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Fact five. All three of the diesel-powered ferry boats are modeled after the 1932 Staten Island ferry design and are sized to approximately three-fourths scale of that ferry. Oh, interesting. Back six, in 1997, the ferry boats were recommissioned with new names, honoring three men who were vital to the design and construction of not only Disney World, but Disneyland as well. So Magic Kingdom 1 became the Admiral Joe Fowler, Magic Kingdom 2 became the Richard F. Irving, and the Kingdom Queen became the General Joe Potter. So it's interesting because at the time, there's already a Richard F. Irving boat in existence. That was the name of the riverboat in Liberty Square. Oh, that's funny. It was at that time that the riverboat, that riverboat was renamed to the Liberty Bell. Oh, okay. okay. So yeah, it takes care of that. They you only have one boat named after you. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <laughs> they couldn't just call it uh, Richard F. Irving 1 and 2. Right. right. <laughs> Fact 7. The ferries are 120 feet long and nearly 35 feet wide. Their drift is 5 feet and 6 inches, which is shallow enough to let them cross the water bridge connecting Bay Lake to Seven Seas Lagoon. Each has two caterpillar engines that generate up to 400 horsepower apiece. They all have a capacity of 600 guests. Wow. The Admiral Joe Fowler can be identified by the green color of the panels down its sides and around its pilot houses. The Richard F. Irving has red panels and the General Joe Potter has blue panels. Well, there you go. Yeah. Fact eight, unlike the rides, Inside the parks, the ferry boats do not rely on rails for guidance. They are all free-floating and piloted by trained captains and Disney's watercraft department. So Disney has a watercraft department. And there are actually pilots up there doing their job. Yes. The training focuses heavily on being able to maintain the control over the large boats so that the guests can be safely transported back and forth between the transportation and ticket center and the Magic Kingdom. 
So fact nine, and this is just with any sort of transportation, incidents and accidents happen. Primarily, um, so they, you have the ferry boats, but you also have people just on boats on the lake. The lake, yeah, right? Bay lake, yeah. So there have been um, cases of boats not, I guess, just not paying attention and getting in the ferry's way, or accidentally bumping into rocks or mooring dolphins. So we've actually seen, because uh, there's other boats, there's some boats you can actually rent right. on the bay. Mm-hmm. And they're supposed to stay within an area. We were coming home mm-hmm. recently from... The last time we were there. Yeah, from Magic Kingdom yep. over to Ticket Transportation Center. I think it was in the middle of the day. It must have been we were heading back for a little bit. And there were some boats just flying around the lake. Mm-hmm. Obviously not Speed in, the, in the path that they were supposed to be. Because they were right. crossing the path of the ferry boats. Right. Which and there was like police boats all around trying yeah. to cordon them back oh into gosh. the um, yeah. to the area. Yeah. yeah so it, was, they just it was interesting to watch. escorted them yeah. out of the area, mm-hmm. out of the ferry boat yeah. area. So, yeah. they, were pretty, they were going pretty fast. They were. Yeah. yeah. But so they we, got caught. Yeah, yeah. They caught up to them. And, Which is better than running into the ferry. Right. Yes. Because right. the ferry... We have paid attention. Yeah. yeah. And I think the ferry also has a, like a horn or something. Yes, it does. As well. They usually toot the horn when they're passing the other ferry. Yeah. That's what they're supposed to do. Yeah. And they do. And you're also supposed to wave when you pass the other ferry. Yeah. So That's just so you know. Yeah. So if, if you were a guest there, waving is waving always is good. Waving is a good thing. Yes. yes. And finally, fact 10 due to the larger capacity of the ferry boats versus the monorails, 600 versus. 360 at peak times it can actually be faster to take the ferry across seven seas lagoon all three ferries are typically in service at these busy times which means they depart the dock approximately every five minutes so if you want to get to magic kingdom quicker in the morning or back to your car quicker in the evening you might want to bypass the monorail line in favor of the ferry boat dock which is kind of what we talked about before. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So, so I'm always amazed uh, at the pilots of those things because they're big ships. Mm-hmm. And the pilots sit up on the second floor and kind of look down. And there's a pilot house on either end, mm-hmm. basically. But they can bring in that thing really pretty quickly oh, yeah. and slow down pretty quickly without really being a disturbance to you on the deck. Yeah, you're and not jerking around. Mm-hmm. Hit the spot precisely because yeah. they have to hit the dock right mm-hmm. you know Just it, right. it will without yeah. actually hitting the dock <laughs> right like it will sort of you know like there's a space where they can get into it and right. it will kind of fashion them in right but they still have to hit that in a way that it's not going to jostle people that's below. right yeah. yeah and they have people on the lower deck to um rope it to the, tie it to more or right. whatever um before they open the gates and let you through disney has a whole system and it's really interesting to watch and see how just how well they do their water transportation. But yeah, so next time you're there, check it out if you haven't seen it. And let us know which one you prefer more, the ferry or the monorail. I know one of the things I like to do when we go into the ferry is I always wave to the skipper. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they always wave back. And sometimes they'll say yeah. something to you. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. funny. But they're always up there. And you see them as you're loading onto the boat, so we always wave. We actually talked to a skipper who was kind of in the middle of... There's different size boats that you can you can captain there. And they get... Apparently, this guy was telling us, they get a lot of people that have previous experience in piloting boats. 
and was um, piloting the mid-sized boats that ferry from like Grand Floridian over. Mm-hmm. So they right, carry the maybe 20 or, Yeah, the resort boats, like 20 or so people. He had a full-time job. He was an engineer. Mm-hmm. He had yep. a part-time job doing this. And he said over time, you can work your way up to the, actually to the ferry boats. But they stay around a long time because they're really nice, pretty straightforward job. And um, Disney's a great place to work. Yeah, right. So, yeah. The other thing I was going to say is that I, for the first time ever, I saw that boat area that you were talking about where somebody took a picture from above right after the COVID shutdown happened, where they had moored all the boats together in that boat area. If you're going from the ticket transportation center towards the Magic Kingdom, if you go to the right, which is the way after you get past that island, you go to the right, which is going like you're going towards Wilderness Lodge. You go down that way and then make a left, and it's like behind this this boat, this water corner, <laughs> and there's this huge area that they put all the boats, and that's where they do the maintenance on the boats. I'm guessing that's where they built that the one ferry, mm-hmm. um, but it's a large area. Yeah, it was interesting to see all the boats all right. moored together too. Yeah, mm-hmm. and for the ten amazing facts about the Walt Disney World ferry boats, I found them on DisneyFanatic.com. So, like Canada. In Australia, the only thing, other than speaking English, I'm sure that Australia and Canada are alike, because in terms of weather and animal friendliness, they're they're at least uh, kind of, the stereotype is that they're very different. Canada having the beaver and the moose, and Australia having giant spiders and snakes, and Kangaroos. kangaroos. Yep. But like Canada... The Australians have public holidays, um, but different than Canada is that it actually varies a lot by what region you're in in Australia. There's only a few that are actually celebrated across all of the regions, and I'll talk about those and then touch on maybe some of the ones that are a little more regional but still well-known. And just because one is not strictly celebrated or government acknowledged in a region doesn't mean that People don't still celebrate in that region. So the first one, January 1st. New Year's. New Year's Day. Not much to say about that. Just like in the rest of the English-speaking world, it celebrated the coming of the new year. The 26th of January, however, is Australia Day. Oh, that's different. Yep, which is... I know Canada doesn't doesn't have that. (laughs) We don't have We don't have Australia Day. Australia Day is the official national holiday of Australia. It marks the anniversary of the 1788 arrival of the first fleet of British ships at Port Jackson in New South Wales and the raising of the flag of Great Britain at Sydney Cove by Governor Arthur Phillip. In present-day Australia, celebrations reflect the diverse society and landscape of the nation and are marked by a number of community and family events and reflections on Australian history, official community awards, and citizenship ceremonies welcoming new members to the Australian community. Hmm. So it's been called Anniversary Day, Foundation Day, and it has also been known as Invasion Day and National Day of Mourning. Depending on who you are. Yeah. Yeah. If you don't know, the Australians have had kind of a dichotomy between the British arrivals and the Aboriginal people. So that's been a very meaningful part of Australia's history. And those two, kind of the struggle and coming together and the differences in those two communities that still exist in Australia. So next is 
Good Friday. Okay. Which is a little bit of a, it says a variable date, but basically around the same time as Good Friday in most other countries. Okay. April 19th in 2019 and April 10th in 2020. And it will be April 2nd in 2021. So just around that first few weeks of April kind of time frame. And Good Friday is a Christian holiday commemorating the crucifixion of Jesus and his death at Calvary, observed during the Holy Week, uh, preceding Easter Sunday, which may coincide with Jewish Passover, like we discussed with Canada. So nothing kind of um, necessarily iconically Australian about the holiday, same as how we celebrate it. The interesting thing is that Easter Sunday is not celebrated as a holiday in all of the territories. Unlike Good Friday. Interesting. Good Friday's the, the one, huh? Yep, so it is not in Tasmania and Western Australia. Interesting. But in the states where it is celebrated, it is Easter Saturday. Like we know it? Yep, it is Easter. And now some celebrate Easter Saturday and some celebrate Easter Sunday. Um, in several states, both are celebrated. Easter Sunday is also not celebrated in South Australia, which is a region. A little interesting there. Easter Monday is celebrated in all of the states. Really? Yep. Easter Monday. Easter Monday. Easter Day itself. And there are some states, like the Australian Capital Territory and Queensland, that celebrate Good Friday, the day after Good Friday, i.e. Easter Saturday, Easter Sunday, and Easter Monday. Let's just do them all. Let's just do them all. Make a whole long weekend of it. Queensland's like, it's what the Queen would do. We also know that they don't have the Easter Bunny there. That's Yes, that's true. They have the Easter Bilby. That's right. (laughs) That's right, the Easter Bilby. That's just so cute. So next we have Anzac Day, which is observed on the 25th of April. Now, does anyone know what Anzac is? It sounds... Is it the Great Emu War? It is not the Great oh, Emu War. <laughs> celebration of the Great Emu War. I wasn't sure if you would know what it was. Sounds like anthrax. <laughs> which is not a good thing. Which is not... No. Nobody would want to celebrate that. Stop. We should just stop talking and I'll explain <laughs> what it is before we get there. Oh, okay. So Anzac is a national day of remembrance in Australia and New Zealand that commemorates all Australians and New Zealanders who served and died in all wars, conflict, and peacekeeping operations. Anzac Day was originally devised to honor the members of the Australia and New Zealand Army Corps, Anzac, who fought in World War and a number of different conflicts throughout the globe. So it's their Memorial Day. Yep, they sort of iconically served in the Gallipoli campaign in the First World War and then fought alongside the Americans and Canadians in the Second World War, landing on D-Day. With us in oh. Normandy. Gallipoli. Gallipoli. How do you say that? Gallipoli. Gallipoli. That's fun to say. Yeah. Gallipoli. Gallipoli. Yeah, it was a failure. But it's Fail, failed invasion say. of yeah, Ottoman <laughs> controlled territory and a lot of people died. Gallipoli. It's unfortunate that had happened at Gallipoli. <laughs> okay, go on. <laughs> you guys, you're killing me. You're it's breaking your my heart. <laughs> now, this is interesting. A holiday that's not celebrated in all of the regions of Australia, but a number of them, is the Queen's official birthday, or the King's official birthday. It's a selected day in some Commonwealth realms, 
on which the birthday of the monarch is celebrated officially as a public holiday. Now, do you want to guess which region of Australia the Queen's birthday is not celebrated? Queensland? It is not celebrated in two, one of which is Queensland. No, that's hilarious. The other of which is... Western Australia. New New South Wales. Western Australia. Oh. They seem like they're kind of like... Not into all the other holidays. Not into they, <laughs> Western Australia is not into many holidays. Yeah. They have their own separate Labor Day and actually celebrate the Queen's birthday on a different day. <laughs> not her birthday. <laughs> <laughs> They'll choose it themselves. Thank you very much. Some one day that is celebrated in Queensland, but no one else is is the Royal Queensland Show or ECA, which is a agricultural show of Queensland, Australia. And is held at the Brisbane Showgrounds. Hmm. ECA is short for exhibition because the Australians like to shorten things in fun little ways. Like, I think Maccas is what they call McDonald's and they call ACDC Akadaka. <laughs> yeah, I did hear that. <laughs> so then the first Monday in October, several of the different states celebrate an official Labor Day. In December, Boxing Day and Christmas are both celebrated. Great idea. South Australia is actually Proclamation Day uh, rather than Boxing Day, which celebrates the establishment of government in South Australia as a British province. There are several Commonwealth states where there is Father Christmas rather than Santa Claus. Okay. But in Australia, he is Santa Claus. He's just not usually presented like the in, a, in a fur coat. Often with a longboard or um, kangaroos. Well, yeah, and the December, the Christmas for them is going to be hot. Mm -hmm. Because it's in the other side of the world. Right. Yeah, it's not going to be cold like we have it. Which makes sense. So I'm sure a lot of other fun traditions, and if we have any Australian listeners, make sure to fill us in. It's not a public holiday, but they do celebrate Halloween in Australia. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they don't carve pumpkins because they don't... Well, they, there's not a lot of pumpkins, so they don't carve pumpkins there. So they won't be scaring their spirits off that way. Right, because that does scare evil spirits away. Right. That's right. As we learned on former podcasts. I feel like there's enough scary things in Australia as, yeah. it, as it is. They're already yeah. pretty timid yep. spirits. <laughs> <laughs> Tiptoeing around the bugs. And, you know, the, <laughs> the snakes and the sharks. And the, and, yeah. <laughs> That's very fun. Thanks for sharing, guys. Um, Our future festivities are for the week of August 24th. August 24th is Vesuvius Day. So, what do you think about that, Cole? Vesuvius Day. That's near where our our Italian families are from. That's very true. Yep. Very close to uh, Naples down there. That's right. August 25th, National Banana Split Day. August 26th, National Dog Day. August 27th, Just Because Day. August 28th, National Power Rangers Day, August 29th, International Bacon Day. I feel like there's several bacon days. I think so. Yep. I think <laughs> it's a good idea, there, though. Yeah. August 30th, Frankenstein Day. You can always follow us on social media by following us on Twitter at holiday underscore moons. On Instagram, we are at holiday moons. And you can find us on Facebook. We have a Facebook page and a Facebook group by searching holiday moons in the search bar. And you can email us at any time. At hollymoons at gmail.com. So for Beth, Randy, Sydney, and Cole, happy summer!
on the dub for one thing, for one thing, just remember to do. Let yourself go, let yourself go. Yell Geronimo. Until, until, baby, we see it through.